This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. Many people tend to think that we live in a world where most people are inherently greedy, selfish, or perhaps even evil. That when push comes to shove, we all want more for ourselves, even if it means less for everyone else. But just how true is that? I'm Darshan Johan and this is Today I Learned. On the show with me today is Dr. Chua Sok Ning. She's a psychologist and the founder of Relate Malaysia. Welcome to the show, Dr. Chua. How are you? Good. Thanks for having me here, Darshan. So let's start with an overview of this age-old debate before we unpack the details. Do you think people are inherently selfish or selfless, good or evil? Are we driven by self-interest or a sense of collectivism? I don't mean to take the copper answer, but I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't think it's either or. I mm-hmm. you know I think that we. So I'm a Christian, so I think that yes, we have the imprint of God, and I think many, you know, other individuals who have uh, who hold on to religious beliefs also believe that we have a capacity for goodness. But clearly, you know, even seen in our world today, every day on the news, there is also a capacity for badness and evil in in our day-to-day lives. You know, um, we do things that benefit ourselves and we we, we might justify it was not harmful to others, but definitely it's beneficial to ourselves and that's why we do it. I mean, we have a lot of studies even with kids, right? Mm. Um, with, With babies and toddlers, how they tend to prefer helpers, you know, adults or helpers. They are even more willing to help other babies achieve a goal or help adults achieve a goal. We see it, um, I think, you know, in a day-to-day, we, we see people with a capacity for altruism, even during COVID times. But, but that's, we. I mean, even with the child research, we also see that children have a capacity, you know, they, they learn to lie very easily. They naturally right. learn very easily. I'm not sure what they're They're learning consciously, um, but they, they do pick up a lying to benefit themselves or, or out of fear. Um, maybe they feel like they're going to be punished, but they also tend to do things that are not, you know, quote unquote, morally right um, very quickly. So we see both. Again, I think the innate capacity for, for goodness, uh, but also an innate capacity um, to do things that are not as good. So would you say that, um, you know, looking through the, the the psychological evidence over the years that what it points towards is this idea that um, we have in, in us the, you know, the capacity to do both um, good and evil, you know, selfish and selfless um, acts? I think so. I mean, mm-hmm. I think you could justify it to yourself well, is it really selfish? Is it is it really bad? But however you justify it to yourself, the 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 fact would remain is the outcome or the, even the process or the action that you're taking is there is some selfishness to it. And so unless you say, well, we shouldn't be selfish, we have to be completely giving, um, which I, I think many people um won't necessarily agree with. I mean, let me take an example for. Mm-hmm. So I'm a clinical psychologist and we believe strongly in the value of empathy. 
Right, empathy, empathy meaning putting yourself in someone else's shoes. Right. And in therapy, it's absolutely necessary. And um, I'm a supervisor and a practitioner of this particular therapy called emotion-focused therapy, where empathy uh, is emphasized a, a lot because it's you know, really a therapy that came out of uh, Carl Rogers' um, practice. But... You know, while I was studying it, I asked my supervisor, I was like, if empathy is so great, why are we, should we have it 24-7? Right? Should we have it all the time? And she said, no, that's, no, we shouldn't because our empathy is really a function of trying to get close to people, right? So when you're on on a call to a customer service agent and trying to (laughs) argue for a uh, let's say you, you were wrongly charged for something you don't sit there and empathize with the difficulty the customer service agent has that mm-hmm. how that person is receiving all these calls from angry people and you don't go man it must be really hard to be you let me just not give you a hard time today right because you're so <laughs> you got like i've got a goal my goal is to get this done this is unfair and so you start asserting and so there's a point where empathy is not always helpful um in i think even getting your needs met even in your well-being i'm not saying you should then be a jerk right but you don't want to then think about oh man this person's really having a hard time let me not do anything let me just say oh we'll sit at home because right. in that case it goes to the opposite but you never get anything and then you do get sad and depressed and even resentful that everyone else used to be getting something mm. now one of the theories you've written some papers on is the self-determination theory um, by edward Dacey and richard ryan could you mm-hmm. explain what this theory is and what it says about human beings' innate personalities. So this is one of my favorite theories. Mm -hmm. And I try to talk about it whenever possible because it's great. So I really started uh, researching on this theory because I wanted to disprove it to be true. Mm. This is the the young zeal. (laughs) 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 The pride and zeal of a young researcher, undergraduate student, going up to my supervisor going, this can't be true. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, uh, he he was very patient and kind with me, Richard uh, Richard Kessner at McGill. So this theory says that we are born with a blank slate, you know, the tabula rasa, where Mm. everything's just imprinted. So they disagree with that hypothesis. Instead, they said, you know, we all are born with these, uh, with drives to fulfill three basic psychological needs. Now, the first is relatedness. I think everyone can agree with that. We want to be connected um, with others, but it has to be mutual. So it's not like I like you and then you don't like me. That's not a neat satisfaction, right? It's right. Is this mutual uh, connectedness based on trust and acceptance? Mm-hmm. And the second is competency. Okay. Uh, I feel effective. I can get things done. I, I know how to do things. And the third is autonomy. Now, autonomy um, was, you know, a lot of people think, well, agents don't really need autonomy, right? <laughs> we <laughs> just follow, follow blindly. And you know, DC and Ryan were very careful to distinguish um, independence uh, and self-determination. So they're saying autonomy, it's not that you have to be independent. So you can right. be independent or interdependent. You know, those are cultural uh, variations in that. But it's 
to the extent to which you feel like you have some degree of agency in in your life, right? Empowered. And, uh, empowered. You mm. have some self-determination. You're not just a mere cog in a machine controlled, you know, by the master puppeteer. And then you can say, yeah, everyone everywhere wants that because once that agency is taken away, that person is does not have well-being, right? So if we're thinking about how do we want to you know, get a, a healthy and well society. So like, these are three needs. Unfortunately, uh, most of many times our environment does not support these natural drives of relatedness and agency and slash autonomy and, and competency. What do you mean by the, the environment doesn't support these three drives? So often, you know, the environment, so we have this idea um, that people let's say are lazy, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say we, we believe people are lazy and, and people won't work. So we think, okay, we have to control them. Mm -hmm. The only way we get society moving is we control people. If we don't force them to do things, yeah, you see, uh, they never do anything. You see, you look at them, oh, who's playing games? Okay, so like, so we, we believe therefore that in order to move people, motivate people, help people grow, we somehow know better and, and therefore must direct their behavior. So if you have that, then you will have a, a rather controlling environment, right? Mm -hmm. You don't have agency. Don't don't tell me what you want. I'm going to tell you what's better for you. You know, sometimes you you won't, people will tell you what to do without the you even understanding why. That's also part of agency. People might tell you do something and not actually guide you to do it. That's the need right. for competency, right? And it also could be an environment where people think competition is better because mm. there's like competition, right? Then everyone's going to be striving and we're going to get a lot of progress. But that's the need of relatedness that's thwarted, right? Mm. So really, you're not creating an optimal environment for people to be at their best and also achieve the most because a lot of research has gone into this where they find people actually are more motivated and they achieve more when the environment um, is supporting their three basic needs. But people, I, I think we 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 are afraid to let people be themselves, right? That if we don't control them, chaos will ensue. But you know, these rises, you know, we really have this in, in, inherent drive to to be competent and inherent drive to connect and inherent drive to be agentic. And when the environment supports these needs, you know, humans will thrive. So that's a very important thing that I would like to dive into in, in just a second, right? This, this idea of how the environment plays a role in, in shaping the, the directions that you take, even your personalities. Um, I wonder what did, um, you know, Daisy and Ryan teach you about um, whether we are innately collaborative or competitive? So if we go with, you know, the DC and Ryan self-determination theory, mm -hmm. they would go with, I think they would go with collaboration just because mm -hmm. of the relatedness, right? Mm -hmm. Like, but again, you know, there's this, so I've studied abroad for, uh, I lived and studied abroad for 10 years. And, right. and what I realized was coming back to Asia is that even though we're seen as a interdependent culture, mm -hmm. right? We only interdependent and are helpful to people we consider in group, and we, and whereas the independent culture, you know, in the West, 
in the States and in Canada where I was, um, they're actually more helpful to everyone, even though they, they're more individualistic, hmm. right? So there is like, even though I think we are collaborative, it also depends on who we want to collaborate with and who we're willing to trust and who we're willing to uh, work with. And, and there is some degree, if you have this strong idea of like in-group versus out-group, then you're not going to collaborate with everyone. You're only going to collaborate with people you consider a trustworthy um, and in-groupy, which sometimes has consequences for the overall society, right? The overall right. society and the unity of the society is then fractured because you have all these little cliques and all these different groups. So in that case, then you say overall, it's not very collaborative, but within your little tiny group, you're like, oh yes, life is great and collaborative. All right, let's go for a very quick break. On the show with me today is Dr. Chua Sokning, psychologist and the founder of Relate Malaysia. We will continue this discussion after these messages. Keep it here on Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. Welcome back to Today I Learned. I'm Dashan Johan. And on the show with me today is Dr. Chua Sok Ning. She's a psychologist and the founder of Relate Malaysia. And we're discussing an age-old question in the field of psychology and philosophy, which is, are human beings fundamentally selfless or selfish? So, Dr. Chua, let's dive into the aspect of environment. This idea, um, you know, whether your environmental factors such as upbringing and culture influence whether a person's innate tendencies tend to lean towards goodness or selfishness because i'm wondering um you know for example if you have a company where everyone gets good wages and good benefits you won't find many people not any it's not about hundred or zeros right we are talking here but you won't find many people who try to step on each other's shoulders uh you know trying to get that promotion but if the company pays everyone poorly and then says only one person will be retained and everyone else will be fired, then it will be an arena of office politics, betrayals, um, people trying to one-up each other um, in front of their bosses and, and so on and so forth. What do you, what's your take on that? I agree with you. The environment does shape us mm -hmm. a lot. Or, or even two people, and, uh, and then you want to think, are these two equal people? Do they mm -hmm. see themselves as in-group members? Or they see the other person as an out-group member, mm. right? That this person is different from me. Oh, this person is superior to me or inferior to me, right? And that, that would also then be influencing how they collaborate or not. And so if they do view themselves as equal, and if they have internalized the value of collaboration, then yes, I think they will collaborate. If they view themselves as out-group members or, or have internalized the values that it is better to be competitive, it is better to be selfish, right? If I don't do it, the other person for sure will backstab me. Then yes, I think there will be a fight. So because we're talking about environmental factors, it's also very much then the environment shapes the values that we hold dear to us and we have internalized as well, not just our view of the world, but it also dictates um, how we should behave and how we would like to behave, what we believe is right to do. And then you've also described, you know, workplace environment that do this. And you can think about going back to self-determination theory, those kind of environments. So once your needs are thwarted 
and uh, you know you have no agency or you have no relatedness and you have no competency. What they found is then people, first of all, because your well-being goes down, but then people start getting it, try, trying to meet their needs in mm-hmm. less than healthy ways. Right. Right. So, and and I think we've all known that maybe the easiest way is or a sense of relatedness and how some people are so keen and, and so needing to feel connected they'll do anything and they're so afraid of losing that connection they'll do, do anything and so that, that you can still see it underlying that behavior is a drive for connectedness but because the environment has never met that need this person is go and and maybe has taught this person you only get to be related if you do xyz right, right. you only get this if you do uh, abc and so then this person has not learned a healthy way of meeting their needs or even healthy relationships and they'll go about it all the wrong way that will actually lead them to you know to i think more ill being and more unhealthiness than than and more unhappiness actually so the environment not just provides us a uh, means to meet our needs and then be healthy but the environment then also teaches us how to meet our needs right and so to in order i think that's that's really difficult so if you're in an environment that completely thwarted your needs mm-hmm. never gave you a chance to be connected how do you know what a healthy relationship is Right, right, right. You know, unless you meet someone else, right, or you figure it out, or you test a different way of being. So you know the environment can can then be helpful or further harmful. Right. And unfortunate, you know, you know. So that that's a tremendous thing that we want to think about. That we also we have these drives. These drives don't stop, but then people are going to go about it the wrong way if we don't right. help them. Uh, meet their needs in healthy, good ways. The reason I'm so obsessed with this question about environment, um, because I think environment relates to, is essentially we're talking about systems, even you know frameworks uh, that govern our society, economic frameworks, all of these things, right? And And the reason I'm very fascinated by this question is because a lot of people, um, sometimes when we talk about, let's say, capitalism, we talk about the rat race, people will say, no, but you know, that's just naturally how people are. You know, people are naturally greedy. And, and so this is just the natural order of things. Um, you know, even when we say, oh, people should, you know, pay wages better, top CEOs should should create a more equitable workplace environment, better wages, um, and, and so on and so forth. Um, oftentimes you get the the sort of um, a reply that, I mean, if you were in that position, of course you would you would do the same as well. We are all naturally greedy, you know. If if you had that kind of um, um, sort of capital, that's the same thing that you would do. If that's the you had that kind of um, political power, that's the same thing that you would do. Um, so it's always from a very like individualistic. The assumption is this is what drives the system. It's our innate selfishness and greed um, that has molded the system, that, or that, uh, in, which is why we created such systems. But on the flip side, I, I guess there is an argument, and I'm very curious to know what your take is, is that it is not so much that the system itself um, in its current form um, sort of pushes or encourages people to be more selfish and competitive rather than collaborative. And I think, you know, yeah, the system does reward 
fairly ruthless people, <laughs> right? Because right? they, they tend to get noticed and they maybe they speak the loudest. They may not even be the most knowledgeable, but they certainly are doing what needs to be done to to get the attention and they rise up the ranks and so they maintain the culture which has supported their rise, right? And when they end up on top, they don't change the culture because that's the culture that rewarded their behavior. So this is different. This is what I often find. Mm -hmm. People who are on this treadmill, this hedonic treadmill, right? That, you know, you have to keep going, keep going to get more hedonistic pleasure or more happiness. They're scared to step off. They're scared of actually quietness and stillness mm -hmm. because their, their, their lives are fairly busy and, and actually very busy and, and quite noisy. But if you ever stop and think, so what am I going to do with all the wealth? Like, why am I going on this treadmill and why am I heading so hard? And so then I think our modern society has this um, middle life, a midlife crisis idea, right? And suddenly <laughs> we are like, why am I doing this? And, and the why is, you know, going back to Dees and Ryan, one, there's a, there's a great, the, the book that they wrote that actually addresses that, what motivates me? You know, why do we do uh, what we do? Are we striving for power? What, what do we want to do with the power? So then some people will say, well, I want legacy and I want to ensure my family will be wealthy. Mm -hmm. So let's go back to in-group, right? Someone is benefiting and be my family. And why not the rest? Because I don't care about them. So then you, we can still see if you want to say, well, there's goodness, uh, quote unquote goodness, in the, their desire to take care of the family. But there's also badness because it's selfishness because they don't care about the rest. So that's why I said, you know, we see the dual nature of, of humanity in that behavior. So what, what would it take for them to change it? I think one is to realize that life life is okay to be shared, right? Like you won't be, it's not, it's often not a zero-sum game unless we make it a zero-sum game. Mm -hmm. It's okay to share the wealth and you can still be happy and your family can still be taken care of even if others are being taken care of. Right. So it, it, I think it really, the, a person is has to really step out of the 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 system and all the the values of the system and make the the those values explicit to themselves and say is this how what I believe is this how I want to live my life and I think some people would say yes but then if you want to change the system some people have to say no and some people have to behave differently and some people have to have organizations that be that are different. And what I think is you, for those good environments or, or workplaces, you actually, a lot of people gravitate to those. Everyone wants to work there. And those companies are also doing well. Right. Right. This is maybe where my, my cynicism comes in. I don't think we'll ever get rid of greed, right? I mm. mean, he, even we see that even with kids, right? <laughs> mine, 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 right? And, and I mean, they, they want it. Um, so it's also... You know, how do you teach an adult right. that it's okay? It's a lot harder than teaching a kid. Right. And you don't need everything. Um, but teaching an adult. So I think that's this. I think that it's, it is fascinating to think about all those people who are grabbing and grabbing or working 
working, you know, 24 seven for something. And then they hit often, they hit the end of their lives and they're deeply unhappy. I want to press that further because um, you say you're a cynic and we can't get, and, and so from your point of view, we can't get rid of greed. And I think that's important, right? And that's why my question then is, is it more constructive to try and get rid of greed or is it more constructive to think about how can we create an environment? Now you can call the environment a system or framework or whatever, but but how do we create an environment that doesn't reward greed? How do we create an environment that promotes the three needs? Right. Yes. Right. Because yes. when we do promote the three needs, I think people will be less willing to be greedy because they 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 are satisfied right you know they so, are fulfilled so so i guess that the, the the question is it is you do find that it is more important to think about creating an environment that promotes collaboration for example or collectivism rather than thinking about how do we solve this problem of greed in the sense that can we ever get rid of greed in the first place because we probably cannot get rid of greed not to say we shouldn't work on it but it's more important or constructive to create a environment that supports in that three needs for you right yeah i think so an environment that supports the three needs and i think inherent in that environment is a a view of of people um a high, a high view of of humanity right that that people should be treated with respect and people um should be valued and so that in that environment where we satisfy people's needs and if they then say you know what i want to go somewhere that's okay mm-hmm. you know it's okay for people to make their own choices uh and 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 leave on good terms and and you know God bless them and shalom and go on your way. And so, if, but if we create an environment that it's about only our agenda, we actually end up devaluing the people that we work with because we're mm-hmm. just saying like, you know, your value matters to me less than my goals. Mm-hmm. And so I think in an autonomy supportive environment, an environment that supports the three needs actually has inherent in it a really high view of people. It's a humanizing view of individuals. We have to see them equal to us, right? The value is equal to ours. And and therefore, treating them with respect and treating them with with value and and trying to support them and support what they they want. At the same time, we know, and this is not an optimistic, uh, Pollyanna-ish approach because we know that when people's three needs are met they are much more motivated they're intrinsically motivated grades go up for students you know uh, organization productivity goes up so if you still want you're like but how do I get my organization to be productive there's tons of research that shows this is the way and this is the way to get more success to get more productivity and it actually is like you, this is the win-win situation that you want. Right. Your your workers win, and you win. And I'm wondering if that is why we see that, for example, in countries, um, when we look at let's say the happiness index, right? Countries with 
a big that you know work towards expanding the common good um and common good i i mean you know public hospitals um you know more connected cities that are kind of through public transport better wages um better public healthcare public education um you know everything is affordable um they are, they they seem to be happier there is a, a larger sort of a volunteer culture in these kinds of societies compared to societies where you know there's very little um public healthcare public education everything is a rat race um you know the common good is um, significantly smaller um you know in by common good i mean like public goods at public parks and things like that um and everything is controlled by the private market everything is profit driven you see that countries um that for example like norway like sweden scandinavian countries denmark they seem to chart far higher on the happiness index um what is your take on that the more socialistic countries right I absolutely mean, the, yeah. <laughs> absolutely i mean those yeah those countries have have traditionally um scored really highly in, in terms of health and, and well-being and I think there's also this, I mean, not to neglect, those are like structural issues or systemic issues, right? Uh, right. Uh, there are these facilities that take care of um, our physical needs, our, our, you know, our healthcare needs and even financial needs. But then there are also the communal needs that we have. So especially in, in cities where it we can lose the sense of community. Mm-hmm. So our countries also working how how do we promote a sense of community right within people and, and you can't do that you can't do malaysia madani if you also have voices that say malaysia that madani right <laughs> like that you have voices that are splitting and and disunifying people groups based right. on a certain characteristic so with with that unity and and I think those that sense of unity, while that you could have a larger abstract sense of unity, we really also need smaller communities. So that means that you know within cities, uh, you know within your little councils, you need people who value fostering that sense of mutual support. You know because that has been actually shown to predict all sorts of good things and the lack of social support has been shown to predict all sorts of bad things. Mm-hmm. You know, that collaborativeness that you've been, I feel, espousing throughout this, this chat and I feel like you really believe in is they think, who are we collaborating with if we are fundamentally alone in this world? Mm-hmm. No one, right? The only way we can collaborate with is we have a community within two other people to collaborate with. And so that sense of community and I think that tends to be tends to work best in smaller groups mm. you know like someone has to kind of be fostering that and and then that that will be helpful uh in in shaping a society even towards well-being right now i also want to just you know as we slowly wind down this conversation just talk about people's perception because throughout this conversation i think um it has it is clear that you know while this is an age-old debate I think broadly speaking, um, you know, based on what you said, based on, you know, the research of, available, most people sort of agree that people have both 
you are you are you have you have a selfish side and a selfless side, and depending on the environment and various factors, um, that would sort of hone particular sides um, to to sort of react to the circumstances that you find yourself in. I'm wondering then why are people so convinced that most people are selfish and and you know evil? Um, I'm wondering if you know historical narratives, you know pop culture, and even the news shape people to think this way. Um, because this is what uh, one of the things that Rutger Ber- uh, Bergman suggests in his book Humankind. He gave the example of uh, Titanic. He said when you watch the film Titanic, that the climax of Titanic, what you see is is a is a ship in chaos. Um, people on the ship, many of them are selfish individuals trying to fend for themselves and and jump on the safety boat. But in actual fact, when you watch, when you when you read newspapers and documentations of what actually happened during the Titanic, it was an orderly affair where people helped each other in a very orderly manner get onto the safety boats. People, were, apart from one or two individuals, most people were, were calm, they were collected, they were helping women and children. You know, people were helping each other, trying to solve the problem. So I'm wondering how much do, you know, things like the news, dramas, you know, this whole dramatization of, of um, human behavior, violent films, and, and all these kinds of things shape our perception of the world? That's a great point. So we know, yes, the, the media tends to highlight negative things. Mm-hmm. And we know that negative events impact us often more than positive events. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think, yes, we can get a perspective of this world if we are only bombarded with bad news, right? So we could have the perspective based on just maybe passively receiving, but I want to highlight that our modern society uh, actually encourages that view actively through video games Mm -hmm. that are violent that has been shown to actually promote a less altruistic mindset where people who play a lot of violent video games, I'm not saying then they go on and be violent, but it actually, they are less helpful than mm. those who do not, right? So I'm not saying violent video games are then the, the cause of all bad things, no. But it does influence you. I think knowing that influence is important. And we also know that porn does that. It dehumanizes people and encourages sexual violence, gender-based violence. It it actually ruins families. It it, stop, it gives people an unrealistic, unrealistic view on what relationships look like. That's an active recipient of things. And those two things are shaping our view and our behaviors, not just with the passive receiving of news, which we can turn off, right? That's not as rewarding to often to our dopamine level, our dopamine system than than, games or or even porn, which which we know are actually huge industries. So I I think that we're not just shaped to think people are more selfish. We are actually, our modern day society are actually doing things that encourage us to be more selfish and, and to dehumanize other people and to see others as just targets. Right. You know, um, just objects that, that we can do something towards, you know. And so that's why I think that this idea of the high high view of humanity is important. You know, I've been really pondering about what it means to have humanizing relationships 
mm. where we see someone as equal value and someone as important and to be respected and cared for rather than someone who's just there to meet our needs and object right you know and so in order to for us to to move towards collaboration or kindness and respect we need to have that high view of man absolutely because you know bergman also pointed out how the news um especially not not journalism as a whole right not necessarily like these long form research contents and and so on and so forth but this idea of the news which mm-hmm. job is to highlight something extraordinary or something a, a sensational aberration right it tends to cloud people's judgment so for example the news will tell you today um there's a malaysian indian man who broke the windshield of someone's car and stole someone's purse right but the, what the news doesn't tell you is that there are millions of other malaysian indian men who are just going about their day minding their own business and not breaking any windshield they're well, just sitting yeah in- that would be the headlines be malaysian indian men just behaving like regular people people exactly right you don't see this right because that's boring that's not the news and even if we go away from this selfish selfless kind of thing but just on the same type of example most people are more i think there are a lot of people who are more afraid of flying than they are of driving although statistically driving is far more dangerous causes way more deaths in a single year and all of that and it's because the news doesn't report today 500 something or thousands of flights when all the flights arrived on time and blah 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 right the the, 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 the news doesn't report these things the news reports when oh my god today there's a there's a this flight crashed and then there's this huge dramatization of it and people are like oh my god flying is so scary imagine if the news actually reported the statistics of driving and accidents every single day on the headlines the way they report plane accidents you know you're talking about thousands well, then of accidents everyone will be scared of no, driving, of driving. <laughs> exactly exactly right, right? right so it, yeah. that, doesn't that high I, i'm wondering what you take on this this how news tends to you know shape people's perception that way I don't know BFM are you doing that too <laughs> of life <laughs> I hope not with this long form content in a media company um so I mean as I was as you were talking and it got me thinking too that if our only interaction with the larger world is through news mm. then yes you know because we have no counter example you know that's why I go back to the importance of community and and knowing people right and and having our you know and news because news is selected mm-hmm. we can select the news that confirms our biases or, or only our interests but with a community you have the diversity of opinions which is really important to then help us develop a a, a more balanced worldview so mm-hmm. yes the the news will do that because I mean, to be honest, that sells, right? Right. Aberrations that people pay attention not to the ordinary, but to the out of ordinary or, you know, the thing that pops out, right? And go like, oh my gosh, it's it's attention grabbing. So what is going to help us in society to pay attention to the ordinary? To pay attention, maybe even to the, the regular kindness, someone holding the door for us, Right. Uh, someone, the auntie who gave me 
more sambal for free. Right. <laughs> you know, and that comes out of her pocket and her, mm-hmm. you know, her bottom line. You know, so but the ordinary things in a very, very busy world, I think it's easy to not focus because our minds are on something else. And I think the busyness of our minds on phones, <laughs> on podcasts, like on everything else, like, again, fills our minds. So we actually stop attending to uh, the present and, and paying attention to right. the people around us and even the ordinary kindness, uh, the little things that I think will will provide us a, a, a balanced view that, okay, this world is not com- it's not just all bad news, right? And there, there are there are people in this world who can be kind and compassionate and empathetic. And there are people who aren't, you know? So, I mean, coming out of depression and depression, what, what happens during depression is they said, well, you have this um, de- depressingly realistic view of people. Mm-hmm. So that's one <laughs> of the things that I'm associated with depression. We suddenly see people as, man, people don't care. Right. And people are suffering. And so psychologists say it's, you know, there's this realism that accompanies depression. But in that realism, I was unable to see the kindness of others. Mm. You know, and I could, and I think I've told you this, of just being on the mm-hmm. phone complaining to other people, to friends, about how no one is around and no one cares, right? right? And unable to see, I'm talking to someone who does care. Right. You know, someone who's willing to sit through patiently of, of me going on and on about, about their, the terrible, and it's true, the terrible things of reality. So mm-hmm. I think that, that the counterpoints are important, you know, and the space to take a step back from being completely immersed to take a step back and, and to look at our lives and, to, and be reflective and go, oh, okay, not everyone's like that. Some people are, mm-hmm. but yet they're always, I think they're, they're always, usually, I don't want to say always because I don't want you to get calls that say, hey, you know what? <laughs> so, I would say very often though, mm-hmm. there, there are moments of kindness, All especially right from unexpected sources, from people that don't need to be kind, from people you weren't expecting to be kind, but just little flashes. And if we don't value those, we would be drowned out by this bombardment of darkness in in this world. And I think that's a very nice place to end this conversation. Dr. Chua, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks, Darshan, for having me. That was Dr. Chua Sukning. She's a psychologist and the founder of Relate Malaysia. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can also check us out on podcasts. We're available on the BFM app, bfm.my, or pretty much wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Dashan Johan, and this has been Today I Learned, BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.